If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, uh, would you please take them out and turn to the book of Daniel? If you'll take them out, go to the book of Daniel, and as you are turning there, can we just give a, a hand clap of praise to Britain and our worship team for leading us in worship this morning? Can we do that? <clears throat> Amen. Uh, thank you that we're uh, able to sing the great hymns of old, which we as a church, we, we affirm, and uh, we welcome those, and we'll keep them in our repertoire, and we'll learn new songs as well. Uh, but uh, we uh, hold to the faith of those who've gone before us and things that we have learned through the message and song, and so uh, thank you for Britain and team for leading us in uh, these songs uh, this morning. But today we begin a brand new series uh, on the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, this is where we're going to be over the next several weeks, and uh, the title of this series is The Book of Daniel, God is in Control. And um, I can't tell you how excited I am to be a part and to, and to go through the book, of the, of the book of Daniel. This is something that I have been wanting to do for, for well over a year, and the timing just wasn't right, but, but now it is, and we're finally here, and I'm really excited. And I don't know about you, but the sermon a bumper video that you saw, that get me fired up right there just watching that. Are you with me this morning? I mean, that was really, really good. Well done by Colby uh, Griner. He did a great job. And so, uh, but finally, we're going to walk our way through the book of Daniel over the next several weeks. And uh, we are going to look at uh, one of the greatest lives in all of history, and that's the prophet Daniel. Um, we are going to look at the man and his message uh, we're going to look at the prophet and his uh, prophecy. Um, this, this man, Daniel, when he, when he was 15 years old, he is, he is um, uh, taken away from his homeland and he becomes a prisoner of war and he's taken to a foreign country. But, but there over his entire life, Daniel remains faithful to God in the midst of a godless society. I think this is a great time for us as a church uh, to pick up this book of Daniel. So we're going to jump right on in this morning. So if you're ready this morning, say amen. Well, let's jump right on in. And let me give you three things that I want you to know about the book of Daniel. And I want you to put this uh, in your mind, write this in your notes, write this in your Bible as well, because this is something that will carry us all the way through uh, this book of uh, Daniel. The first thing that I want you to know is this. The name of Daniel, it means God is my judge. God is my judge. And as we walk through this book, we are going to see just how God judges his people, the people of Israel, how he judges them, and how God uses, now listen here, how God uses ungodly people to accomplish his will. Isn't that great news? You know, God uses ungodly people to accomplish his will. Why? Because God is the judge. And we're going to look all the way through that, all the way through the book of Daniel, and we'll see that, uh, that God is my judge. The second thing that I want you to know about the book of Daniel is this. I want you to know the theme of Daniel and what the theme verse in Daniel is. The theme of Daniel is this, and write this down, God is sovereign. That's the theme. God is sovereign. As a matter of fact, um, this book, Daniel, um, the, uh, the, the, main, uh, the main character in the book really isn't Daniel. It's God. 
It's God working behind the scenes, setting up the world as he sees it because he is the judge, and he works through this man named Daniel. But all throughout this, we're going to see that God is a sovereign. And here's what's interesting about the book of Daniel. You will never read a direct quote from God in this book. You'll never hear a direct direct quote from him in this book, but you'll see Daniel speaking under the inspiration of either a vision who's given an interpretation of the vision, but you're going to see that God is sovereign. The theme verse for Daniel, in my opinion, is Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. This is the theme, and if you catch this theme, you'll begin to understand what the entire book of Daniel is all about. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, um, it says this. Uh, Daniel 4, 34, um, and it reads, let me get to my pages here, it reads this. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and I praised and honored him who lives forever now here's the key part of this verse and this is a theme for his God his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation verse 35 and all the inhabitants of the earth are as accounted as nothing But he, God, the sovereign God, does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And here's probably my favorite part. And no one can ward off his hand. Does anybody know what we're talking about with that? We cannot ward off God's hand or say to him, what have you done? And the point is this. The theme of Daniel is this. God is in control. God is sovereign over all aspects of creation. And in order for us to understand this, the book of Daniel is broken down into two parts. You might want to note note this and remember this. Uh, The book of Daniel is broken into two parts. It's pretty clear. Uh, uh, Chapters 1 through 6 and chapters 7 through 12. You have history and you have prophecy. These 12 12 chapters, chapters 1 through 6, tell the story of Daniel and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in chapters 1 through 6, we learn how we can live in in a Babylon, if you will. We see these men living a a godly life in a godless society. And so these are great stories. Many of you, if you grew up in the church, you heard them in Sunday school. Everybody remember that term, Sunday school? How many of you, this may, uh, this may age some of you, how many of you remember felt boards? Anybody remember that? And you'd, you'd put these characters on the felt board and you'd move them around. Yeah, many of us who grew up in Sunday school, you had felt boards. And you there you learned the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so you learned that in chapters 1 through 6. But in chapters 7 through 12, it is the prophetic section of the book. And in chapter 7 through 12 of Daniel, um, it is probably the greatest section of prophecy in all of the scriptures. 
Meaning you and I, we cannot understand the book of Revelation until we understand Daniel chapter 7 through 12. And what we're going to see in this prophecy uh, in chapter 7 through 12, we're ultimately going to see that the Ancient of Days, which is the name for Jesus, it's only used here in the book of Daniel, the Ancient of Days is going to return and he's going to set up his kingdom on the earth so that the Babylons of the world have been destroyed and the Messiah will set up his kingdom and we will all reign with him. Can somebody say, come Lord Jesus, come. Can we just say that right now? Oh, how we want that. We're going to see that in the book of Daniel. We're going to see that as we walk through this book. But this book has everything. If you like history, you've got it. If you like prophecy, you've got it. If you like politics, you got it. If you want a man of prayer, you've got it. If you want to read about lions and, and wild animals, you've got it. If you like statues, it's got this book. If you like to have dreams and visions and you want to know about these interpretations, it's all here. There's even a story in here of a king who thought he was an animal. I mean, we have it all in this book. We have incredible adventure. We have great escapes. We have angels. We have demons. But the overall theme is this. God is sovereign. He's in control. And here's the third thing that I want you to know about Daniel as we work through this book. And I think this is pretty fascinating. Is that Daniel is the only major biblical character where nothing negative is written or said about him. Now think about that for just a moment. Daniel is the only major character in the Bible where nothing bad or negative is ever said or written about him. And this is one of the great things I love about the Bible. The Bible does not shy away from that which is bad. Are you with me? It does not shy away from the fact that David was a murderer and adulterer. The Bible says, this is what he is, but look what I did through this man. Amen? The Bible never shies away from that. But here, it's interesting to note that Daniel, there's nothing ever said negatively about him. Well, how did, how did Daniel come to that where, where God would not say anything negative about him or write anything negative uh, about him? And we'll learn this as we work our way through this, through this great book. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we won't look at that today, but in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we read this about Daniel. He made up his mind to not defile himself. You see, the reason Daniel could live a godly life in a godless society is because of this. And if you're a young student here or a young person here today, I want you to listen very closely to this. Daniel made up his mind to not defile himself when scholars say that he is between the ages of 13 and 15. You see, he made up his mind that he's not going to be defiled by the world. And so I think one of, uh, that this book of Daniel is one of the books that every young person needs to read. If you are a, a student, high school, maybe college, or if you're younger, uh, middle school, elementary, and, and you go read this book. Moms and dads, read it with them. But this is a great book to study and to learn because in it, uh, young person, you will learn that God uses young people to make a difference in the world. Now, can I make a statement right now? Right now, there is a big movement where young people are trying to make a difference in the world today. Are, are you with me? But I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. According to God's ways, the way it's being done right now, that's not according to the Bible. Can I just tell you that right now? Are, are you with me? 
Come on, y'all. Are you with me? Are you with me? Daniel, young person, Daniel tells you how to make a difference in the world. He tells you how to do it. Here's one of the great things about Daniel. Daniel, at the young age of 15, is taken away from his family. He's, he's taken away from his home. He's exiled to Babylon. He will probably, has when he's exiled, he will never have seen his parents again. He will never see his homeland again. He will live his entire life away from his homeland. And in the book of Daniel, listen, young person, listen to me. In the book of Daniel, listen, he never complains. And all the parents say, there's no way. Are, are you with me this morning? You want to make a difference in the world, young person, young student. Look at the Word of God. Do not look at the way the ways of the world are doing it today. You want to make a difference, you look at the book of Daniel. Well, that was free for everybody this morning. That was not in my notes. Well, this book is also perfect for us as adults and as we get older. We're all going to learn um, uh, from studying the courage of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and, the, and the faith that they had, the trust that they had in the great God to save them from the fiery furnaces and from the, from the lion's den. And so, so why are we studying this book of Daniel? Why Daniel? Why now in the year 2020? Well, as we all know... 2020 can be about as weird as it can be. Amen? So we need help. Let me give you two reasons why we're studying the book of Daniel right now, and I want you to write these down. Number one, we are studying the book of Daniel because it is the Word of God. We are studying the book of Daniel, this great book of prophecy, because it is the Word of God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You may be familiar with these verses. But in chapter 3, verses 16, Paul says this. All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, verse 17, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to look back at verse number 16 on the screen. Kip, if you'll go back to verse number 16, please, on the screen. Look at that word inspired. That Greek word for inspired is theonoustos. Theonoustos. Theo means God. Noustos means breathe. So when Paul writes all scripture is inspired by God, what Paul is saying is that all scripture, Old Testament, that's all that Paul had when he wrote that statement. All scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, which means everything between Genesis through the end to Revelation, it says this, that all scripture is breathed by God. All of it is breathed by God. That God is the inspiration behind all of this. And Paul says that we study God's word because when we pour into God's word, it does something to us. Paul tells us that it teaches us, it corrects us, it rebukes us, and it trains us in the way of godliness. Listen, so that we may know how to live a godly life in a godless society and so that we can do good works in the name of Jesus Christ. Why study Daniel? Because it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. We are studying Daniel because we are, and I think you would be in agreement with this, we are living in a time of great upheaval. 
And a lot of us, our culture, our world, we're standing on shaky ground. And we as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to have our sure footing in the word of God. And I will just tell you a personal conviction of mine. One, as a person, two, as a pastor, I am personally committed to preach God's word and nothing else. And whatever happens, so happens. But I'm committed to preaching God's word. I will tell you this, that when God called me into the ministry, he said, preach my word, period. He did not say, preach your opinions. Do not preach what the world says. He says, preach God's word and let me take care of the rest. You be my faithful servant. I will take care of you. And so I stand before you this morning to say, I have no other option. I have no other option. Because God forbid that I do something different than that, then I stand condemned before the Heavenly Father. I have no other option but to preach God's word. We stand on God's word because the church of Jesus Christ is based upon God's word. I, along with this church, have a high viewing of, I have a high view of God's preached, proclaimed word. I believe with all of my heart that the most important aspect of the worship service is the proclamation of God's word. That's the most important thing, that we study God's word. You look back in history of all the great revivals that have taken place across our world. The great revivals in our world have all taken place when you study God's word and you have a high view of God's word. The great reformation under Martin Luther in the 1500s, the reformation came about, this revival came about because Martin Luther led the charge to go back to God's word and to not stand upon man's tradition or man's thought as the Catholic church at that time taught. Instead, he went back to God's word, he preached God's word, and out of that comes the, the uh, uh, seeing again, a revival of the doctrine of justification by faith, which means this, that we cannot save ourselves, it is only by the the grace of God, it is by faith in him. Amen? This only comes from preaching God's word. The first great awakening of the United States of America took place in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, this, this first great awakening swept across the American colonies because of the faithful and powerful preaching of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And it's at that time some of our greatest institutions were created. Harvard, Yale, they all began originally as, you would say, seminaries to train men to preach God's word. That revival takes place because they focused on God's word. At the same time of Jonathan Edwards and for George Whitfield, across the pond in England, a man by the name of John Wesley, who has major connections here in the Golden Isles, at the same time John Wesley is faithfully proclaiming God's word in England, and a great revival takes place over there. You jump forward about another 175, 50, 7,500 years later to the second great awakening that took place in the United States of America. It went from the northeast and began to sweep across to the midwest part of the United States. It, let, it, was, it was a great revival, the second great awakening. It was all focused on the preached word of God. People's lives were changing. Out of the second great awakening, late 1700s, early 1800s, out of that came a movement that we still participate in today, and that's called the foreign mission movement. 
And it all happened because it came from the word of God. Now, all of the revivals that I know that I've studied have begun with a high view of God's word preached word of God. I have not seen, and and if you can share with me, I will stand up here and correct myself, but I have not seen revivals taking place because you're committed to small groups. Are you with me? Does that mean that small groups are a bad thing? Absolutely not. Do I think small groups are important? Absolutely. I believe small groups are important, but they're only important and they're only effective when God's word is at the center of that small group. It's when you get in a small group and you talk about God's word and allow God's word to change you. You do not change God's word. Anybody with me this morning? In all of my study of revivals as well, I have not seen a great revival take place just because there was great worship. Haven't seen it. Now, if you've seen it, you can come tell me. I will correct myself. But I have not seen it. So, Pastor, are you saying that worship is is non-essential? Absolutely not. Worship is highly essential. As a matter of fact, I actually believe that corporate worship is more important than private worship. When we come together as the body of Christ and we come together and we sing that Christ, our hope in life and death, When we sing that together, we bond ourselves together and we learn to say and we learn to sing that we know I've got somebody by my side on my right and my left and we're going to stand together. I believe worship is important. I believe corporate worship is important. But I believe that revivals, restoration come when God's word is faithfully proclaimed, faithfully heard, and faithfully applied. Amen? Amen. Well, I wrote down a couple of questions I think that we may be able to answer in this great study uh, through the book of Daniel. Uh, here's a couple of questions. You don't have to write these down, but just uh, listen at this time. Um, how can we live in a world where believers are outnumbered and often overwhelmed? I think we can learn this from the book of Daniel. How about this one? How should we respond to the rising tide of abortion and the LGBTQ plus movement? Um, how do we respond to the uh, hatred of Christians? How do we respond to the rising tide of persecution? I think we're going to see how we handle that here in the book of Daniel. Uh, here's another question. Where is God in the midst of our culture that is seemingly more and more pagan? Are you with me? Anybody scared or nervous about this study or are you excited? Say excited, that will make me feel so much better, right? And how about, here's another question that, we, that I wrote down. How do we proclaim Christ in a world that doesn't even believe in the concept of truth? How do we do that? I think when we study God's word, we're going to have the answers to those questions, and then we're going to let God take care of the rest. Amen? So we are studying the book of Daniel because... It is the word of God, and there is life change found in the word of God. The second reason, and this is on the screen, why we're studying the book of Daniel is because of this. So that we will learn to trust the God who is in control. Amen? That you and I will learn to trust God who is in control. I think we'd all be in agreement that this book is so desperately needed today. We are living in a time when all the values that create a healthy society have been turned upside down. Amen? Do you agree with that statement? That all the values that that build up and uplift a society, those have have been turned upside down. We're living in a time in our world 
United States specifically, where everything is being turned inside out. Let me share something with you that I discovered this week in my study in the book of Daniel. It actually took me to Isaiah chapter 5. Go in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 5. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. But Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 uh, through 22. Uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about 700 years before Christ, which is about 100 years for, before Daniel. Scholars will say that Daniel studied Isaiah, knew Isaiah, which helped him with the prophecies that we read about in chapter 7 through 12. But in Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet Isaiah warns a culture, warns the culture. Isaiah is prophesying the, the demise of Judah, that God's going to judge them if they continue to disobey. And in chapter 5, verses 20 through 22, Isaiah says, you are going to collapse if you do these things. He's going to say, your culture is going to collapse when you can continue to do these things. See if this resonates with 2020. Look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Verse 22, woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Could we just not write 2020 on the, right beside those verses? Are you with me this morning? And Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ, 100 years before Daniel, he says this. He says, your culture... Your culture is doomed to collapse if you do these things. He says your culture is going to collapse if you begin to call good evil and evil good. Question, is that happening in our culture today? Without a doubt. Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ. So we're talking 2,700 years ago. He says your culture will collapse if you call good evil, evil good. If you call light, darkness, darkness, light. If you call bitter, sweet, and sweet, bitter. He said your culture is going to collapse. Because what you are doing is you are turning the values upside down. Values that uplift a society, you are tearing them down. And Isaiah the prophet, he's speaking here specifically to, to, to Jewish people, to, uh, to Judah. He says, if you continue to do things, your culture will collapse. I believe we can take the same principles today and apply those to the United States of America. And I stand before you this morning, and I, I do not like to say these words, but I believe this with all of my heart. I believe this, that the United States of America is collapsing in front of our eyes because we have turned our backs on our Heavenly Father. And I stand before you today, and I tell you this, it isn't good. And we need to repent. We need to repent because we are doing everything that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 5. Well, as we look at the book of Daniel, we see that this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 5, it took place in the life of Israel. 2,600 years ago, the nation Israel continued to turn their back on God. They continue to reject his word, and their culture collapsed. I want you to write this date down. Write this date down. 
Because this is important to understand the book of Daniel. Write this date down. 605 B.C. 605 B.C. That is the date when God sends this great empire of the Babylonians through the King Babylon, uh, excuse me, King Nebuchadnezzar sends them to sends him to Jerusalem, and he begins to besiege. Jerusalem. And in 605 BC, we know this from the prophets Isaiah. We know it from the rest of the books of Scripture. We know this that in 605 BC, Israel had fallen into immorality. They had fallen into injustice. They had fallen into idolatry. They were worshiping that which was not God. They were treating people unjustly. They were treating people unfairly. They were treating people immorally. And because of that, God sends King Nebuchadnezzar to invade uh, Israel. And he comes in and he takes over this entire nation. He destroys the city of Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. He destroys the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And in it, he then takes away at minimum 25% of the population and sends them back to Iraq. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in Iraq. Amen? This is where they go. And he sends these prisoners of war back to Babylon, and there they stay for 70 years. It's called the 70 years of exile. You need to understand that when it comes to prophecy. You need to put that into your mind and need to hold on to that. 70 years. And it's right here in Daniel chapter 1 where this all begins. It was total disaster for those who were exiled. It was total disaster. They lost their freedom. They lost their freedom because... They were not paying attention to what God said. Their culture had collapsed, and everything was shaking underneath them. And again, I stand before you this morning and say, I see some parallels between the United States of America and the nation Israel 2,600 years ago. I see parallels. I am not replacing the church with Israel. Amen? We'll talk about that later, but this isn't replacement theology where the church has, has replaced Israel in God's covenant work. Know this, that is not my theology. I do not believe that is biblical. God is not through with Israel. We'll see that by the time we're end of uh, Daniel, but, but there is coming a time when Jesus Christ is going to return and the nation Israel is going to be dealt with once again. But right now, we're living in an age called the age of grace, the age of Gentiles. But I believe this with all my heart, that time is running out. We're going to see all of this later. But there are some parallels between the culture of Israel 2,600 years ago to our culture today. Everything that we believe has been shaken, and we are in this great upheaval. Well, if I ended today's message there, you would be majorly depressed. Amen? You say, thank you, pastor, for that depressing word. Well, the great thing about the book of Daniel is this. It is not a depressing book. You know why it's not a depressing book? Because it gives us the answer. It gives us the answer on how you and I can live a godly life in a godless society. And what we're going to learn, and what I want you to learn by the end of this message, I've got about 45 more minutes. God says, and I want you to hear me out, God says that no matter how bad the world gets, are you with me? Are you listening? No matter how bad it gets, no matter the results of an election, no matter, God 
is still in control. All right. We're going to go quickly through the next 37 verses. Seven verses. So set this up. Are you ready? We're going to go quickly through this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to trust God. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Write this word down. Write the word destruction. Write the word destruction. You see, when Daniel writes this book, he, is, uh, he was not a, a famous prophet when this story starts. He's about the age of 15. And he spends the next 70 years of his life, 15 to 85, there in captivity. He starts off as a prisoner of war, but by the end of his life, he becomes the most, second most powerful man in an evil empire. But he does it all without losing his integrity. And through it all, you never see him complain. But here you begin with destruction. This is the story of Daniel and how it all begins. In the third year, verse number one, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, Know that name Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is, is more often uh, used in the Old Testament. Um, is the same amount as Pharaoh in, um, in the Exodus. Are you with me? These two men are evil men. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Would you notice that word besieged? It's the Hebrew word sur. It's T-S-U-R. And the word besieged, it literally means to surround something in an adversarial manner for the purpose of destruction. I think a good illustration for us today, a good visual for a, a besieged, being besieged are the protests that we see on TV, the news, or on the internet today that are taking place all around our country. You've seen them. And you know what happens if you do not agree with that protest and you show up at that protest and you show your approval, what happens? They surround you. Do they not? They surround you in an adversarial fashion because they want to destroy you. This is the idea of a besiege. I think another term that you can use here for our culture, and I'm making this as an application point, I think you can also write down the term cancel culture. You see, when Nebuchadnezzar seeks out to destroy Jerusalem, he wants to destroy all of the past. When you destroy the past, you can lead the young in the direction you want them to go in. How, does this, how is this not relevant today? So write down the word destruction, 605 B.C. Here's verse number two. Write down the word discipline discipline. Verse 2, we read these words. The Lord gave, we'll come back to those three words in a second, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, that's Iraq, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Notice who has been given over, and notice who is victorious here. The nation of Judah, the last two tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, Excuse me. 
These two tribes, Judah, have been given over into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. What do we need to know about Nebuchadnezzar? At this point in the story, Nebuchadnezzar is not a godly man. He's not Jewish. He could care less about the Jewish culture. He's not Christian. He could care less about this idea of being a Christian. He is a total pagan. And the Bible says in verse 2, the first three words of verse number 2, the Bible says that God gave Judah over. Notice this. It does not say that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon defeated them Note that, because in the Old Testament, you will never find this idea that the enemies of God defeated the people of God. It's always the Lord gave them over. Big difference. Big difference. So note that. You need to note that as we continue the study of of, of, of Daniel. And, and, and write this down as well. I think we just need to understand this as well. God gives Judah over to uh, Babylon and to Nebuchadnezzar. I think the principle that we can apply here is this. God often uses pagan leaders to discipline his own children. God often uses ungodly people to discipline his own. That, that's a principle we see all throughout Scripture. And it makes no sense for us as believers, as Jesus says to Paul in the Damascus Road experience when he says to when Jesus says to Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Does that make sense? It makes no sense for us as believers to bemoan what is going on as if God is ignoring us. Does that make sense? We, there's a biblical a biblical track record of pagan, ungodly people disciplining God's very own. Pharaoh, we see it with Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to see it later on in this book of Daniel, uh, uh, Cyrus the Persian, uh, Darius the Mede, we're going to see this. God uses ungodly people to discipline us. This is what's taking place. Verse number two, it is the discipline of God. It is the discipline of God. Why are they being disciplined? It's because God's people have not obeyed. Here, here's some homework for you today. Go home and read Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, it is the chapter of the blessings and the curses. God says, you, you obey me, I bless you. You disobey me, there will be curses. Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, 605 BC is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's God's blessings and it's God's curses. If you disobey, there will be discipline. Number three, or, the, or look at verse number three. I want you to write this down. So far we have destruction, we have discipline. Verse number three, three through five, we have the word deconstruct. Meaning there is going to be a deconstruction of the values of these young men who have been sent off into exile. Verse three reads this. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials. By the way, some scholars and translations will say chief of eunuchs leading some scholars to believe that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not only were they young, 15 years old, but some scholars believe that they were emasculated and they became eunuchs. So just put this into, just put this into context. Not only has Daniel been separated from his home, never to see his family again, never to go back to his homeland again, now he has been mutilated. You want to talk about humiliation... It's Daniel. And this is a, he's living in a pagan world. And this pagan world wants to deconstruct, tear them down, 
destroy their past, and then they want to rebuild them up. The king ordered Ashkenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles. Now look at verse 4. This is who Nebuchadnezzar wants to bring into his palace. Notice this. He says, bring in youths in whom there is no defect, who are good-looking, showing intelligence every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he, and he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Out beside, right, out beside verse number four, write this. That's Pastor Chris. Totally joking. But look at what he wants. Look at what he wants and see if there's an application about our culture today. This is the Babylonian culture. King Nebuchadnezzar, here's who he wants in his culture. He wants somebody who is strong, who is smart, and sophisticated. You see, in the Babylonian culture, if you are strong, smart, and sophisticated, you jumped up into areas of leadership. But if you were not smart, if you were not strong, if you were not sophisticated, we don't care about you. Do you see any application today? Today, I think the three S's of leadership in our culture is this, sex, salary, and status. That if you're good looking, if you're athletic, and if you've got the money, and if you've got the prestige, man, we will listen to you, and we will follow you. Now, that's, 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 that's a telltale sign of an ungodly culture. And this is verse number three and four. Now notice how they deconstruct these young men. Look at verse number five. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he appointed that they should be educated, that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter to the king's personal service. So this is all part of the indoctrination program. Look at that word educated in verse number five. Look at that word educated um, in verse number five. Um, that Hebrew word for educated, it's the Hebrew word gadal, G-A-D-A-L. And it literally means to make them great. And the other uses for this Hebrew word gadal, it always references parents raising their children. Meaning, moms, dads, the God who is in control has given you and I responsibility as we raise children. We are to raise them to make them great. You make them great. How do you make them great? Luke chapter 2 verse 52 tells us, because this is what happened in Jesus' life, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. But here's, the, here's what happens in an ungodly culture and in a demonic culture it always takes that which is good and it twists it. Amen? Amen? Are you with me? Can, can you handle another seven minutes? Can you do it? Ungodly cultures, demonic, always take a seed of the truth and then they do this. And to the untrained believer's eye, you think, oh, that's not bad. That's okay. This is what's going on in verse number five. They are indoctrinating these young men. They're using these terms that would make sense in their mind to make them great because as, as a, a Jewish parents, they wanted their children to be great, but in God's eyes, but here they want to be great in, in, in the Babylonian culture's eyes. It's a twist. And they're trying to deconstruct their values and build them up according to the new culture. I mean, 
I believe with all my heart this is happening to our young people today. Cancel culture, destroy everything from the past, rewrite it, reteach the young, and then you change the generation forever and ever. We see that here 2,600 years ago. Here's the last word I want you to write down, and then we're going to move on. Write the, write the word demoralize. Demoralize. Verse 6 and 7. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 7. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Not only have they been emasculated, not only have they been brutally taken away from their families and their land, not only have they been ridiculed for what they believed and they're being taught new things, now they are giving them a brand new name. Daniel, God is my judge. Belshazzar, Bel protects the king. Bel was the god of the Babylonians, one of the multiple gods. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Shadrach means command of Aku, which is a sun god. Mishael means who is like the Lord. Meshach means who is like Aku. Azariah uh, means this, the Lord is my helper, helper. And Abednego means a servant of Nebo. What humiliation. That now they have been totally eradicated of their past and they're being rebuilt and given new names all for the glory of an ungodly culture. Wow. Well, as we come to the end of our text and the end of our message this morning, and some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus. Everything seems hopeless. If, we, if Daniel ended... If Daniel ended right here after verse number 7, it would be very hopeless, wouldn't it? We would say to ourselves, we, have no, we, we can't do this. There, there's no way that we can do this. Because here we see we have four teenagers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're coming in conflict with the mightiest man on the earth at this time, Nebuchadnezzar. It looks like they have no chance. Amen? The odds are not in their favor. It can't happen. They're going to be destroyed. There's no way that these men can, can survive. But praise be to God that Daniel does not end after chapter 1, verse 7. Amen? It's 11 more chapters to go. 11 more to go, and we learn that, that Daniel succeeded. We learned that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they thrived in this ungodly culture. And we see that God brought them through all of the difficulties. And so we don't end in a, in a hopeless situation. We look forward to the hope that, that rescued Daniel, that rescued Shadrach, that rescued Meshach, that rescued Abednego. See, one of the things I believe that these four young men believed, they believed this, that four plus God equals majority. We can simplify that for those of you who don't like math. One plus God equals majority. And when you and I have that mindset of one plus God, then all of a sudden the Nebuchadnezzars in our lives do not seem so strong. Amen?
I think that's where we are today. We are staring in the face of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's big. He's strong. And he's ugly. Watch VeggieTales, you'll know what I'm talking about. And as we as believers stand in front of that Nebuchadnezzar, it looks like we are hopeless. There's no way that we can do this. But know this, church. We must take the mindset of this. One plus God equals majority. And when we have... Listen, I know... I know some of you are facing some mighty difficulties right now. I know that. I know you are. So many of our people have been hurting and are hurting. And that Nebuchadnezzar is breathing down your neck. I know that. And our problems seem like we can't climb over them. May I challenge you and may we take the mindset that one plus God equals majority. And when you have that mindset, you will look at that problem and your problem will seem so small in front of the God who is in control of all things. Let me close with this. Band, y'all can come up on the stage. Look back at Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. Go back to verse 2. I purposely skipped this, but I want you to see this. Chapter 1, verse 2, the first three words says this, the Lord gave. Do you see that? Everybody see that? The Lord gave. I believe, I believe that verse 2 is the key to understanding Daniel, and it's the key to understanding that one plus God equals majority. I believe that's key to understanding that our problems are not so big with God in the solution. Pastor, how can you say that? Well, look at that word, Lord, L-O-R-D. The Hebrew word that is often used for Lord in the Old Testament is Yahweh, Jehovah, which means the God of gods. Everything. Moses, who do I say sent me? You say, I am Yahweh. That's God. That's the overwhelming use. Daniel does not use that word here for Lord. Daniel uses the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I, which means, you ready for this? Which means supreme master in control. Supreme master in control. What does that mean? That means we serve a God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who came in the form of a man, Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, who gave his life for us, willingly spread out his arms, his hands, his feet, allowed the spear to go on his side, the, the crown of thorns on his head. He allowed that Adonai, 
the supreme master who is in control. And what that means is this. No matter the Nebuchadnezzars in our life, God, Adonai, Jesus is in 100% absolute control. God controls the nations. God is in control of the United States of America. Listen, God is in control over the President of the United States of America. Whoever that is. And I believe because of this, verse number two, I believe this. I believe the Christians should be the calmest people in the world. I believe we should be the calmest people in the world. Why? Because we base our hope and our faith and our trust in Adonai. No matter what happens, God, I don't like it. God, I'll be honest with you. I prefer Jerusalem over Iraq. Just got to be honest with you, Lord. I, I really like my home in Jerusalem. A meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner is pretty good. Now I've got to eat the king's food. Don't like it, don't want it. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about it. I don't even want to. I got to talk to the king, tell him I don't want that. Lord, I, I really liked it back here. I, I want back here, God. I, I want back here. God says, my name's Adonai, and I'm with you now. I just want you to trust me. Can you today, can you say, God, I trust you with everything? Will you submit ultimately your trust to him? Say, God, I, I, I bow my knee, I bow my heart, I bow my life. Say, God, I, I, I don't like where I am, God, but I trust because I know that in the end, you are coming back and you are going to restore all things for your name. Therefore, I trust. I trust. And I'm going to follow Daniel's example and I'm not going to complain. I trust. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Adonai, supreme master who is in control. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us of trying to take control of our lives and our situation. Forgive us for disobeying you. And Father, we pray right now and we ask right now and we tell you right now that we are choosing to trust you. Because we believe because we believe that you win and you're going to restore us we trust that in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand together and let's sing Brent's going to lead a song called Lord I need you we're just going to sing just a little bit of it but why don't you just humbly submit your trust to Jesus